I'm so glad to be here, Kelly. This is awesome. I know. I'm glad to have you here. And what's so fun about these conversations is um, I get to talk to my friends and I get to learn more about them. And, you know, I know you from your recent history, but I'm really just so fascinated with uh, your origin story and, and how you came to be. So I usually just ask people, what was the scenario or set the stage when you shot into the world? You know, <laughs> like what was the family dynamic or what were your, like your parents? Like what was the prep? How, what was that like? That like? <laughs> you know, it's funny because my mom, like apropos of nothing a few weeks ago, called me and said, I don't think I've ever told you your birth story. You were preparing and for I was, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, mom. Um, so what she told me was really actually incredibly sweet. I, I'm the oldest, so I was her first okay. child. And um, my dad, I, like I know this part, my dad was playing softball. And <laughs> apparently... <laughs> Apparently his friends went driving to the softball field and he didn't, you know, he didn't want to give up third base, um, oh but God. they hustled him into the car. And apparently it's a good thing because I came really quickly, mm. um, which is unusual for a first baby. Sure. And my, my mom said that she doesn't remember like having a traumatic experience at all that she was talking to the nurses and it was kind of a celebration and you know, then I just popped on in. Um, So just, just a really fun to hear that story. And truthfully, when I heard it, I thought that she must be remembering wrong (laughs) because okay. So this is one of those weird things somewhere along the lines, I found some documentation, whether it was a baby book or whatever that said that I was born at, um, I can't remember whether it's 10, 14 or 10, 19 in the morning. And mm-hmm. so I was like, mom, there's no way that, you know, I came that fast. Like you must've just been in a drug haze because <laughs> yeah, I was born in the morning and dad was playing softball in the evening. Um, but this has been like this weird back and forth literally for the last two decades of my life where I find one bit of documentation that says I was born in the morning and then another bit that says I was born in the evening. Hmm. And so I've had two separate horoscopes that I've yeah. juggled yeah. depending right. on what thing I've most recently read and then taken to the astrologer. Sure. Um, so after my mom told me this story, I was like, okay, I've got to resolve this once <laughs> and for all. And I actually found, because my mom saved everything, my little tiny baby bracelet, like from yeah, the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I was born in the evening. So she's right. I came really, really quick. Wow. Um, and that means definitively that my rising sign is Capricorn, not Leo. Um, nice. So it's kind of, you know, it's good to have that information. I've been back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see a little bit of both in you, though. I guess it's like how you would interpret the, um, I guess we do kind of put our own inflections on our natal chart based on what we see, because I can see that you uh, are a little bit, you're a public figure, you know, in your area of expertise. And I could see that sort of Leo energy, but then knowing you, because we're in a business cohort together, um, I feel like you're very business minded and you know, you get shit done. So which now that you have this new information, does one feel, do you feel more subtle? Do you, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. You know, I feel like the, the one thing that kind of like settled in my body in a big way was when it was almost 20 years ago at this point, um, I learned about lunar astrology and mm. like right now people who are just coming into this now think that everyone knows lunar astrology and that if you're witchy, that's just the thing, but it's really in the past four or five years, sure. if that, that lunar astrology has become something that, um, is more widely known amongst the magical yeah. communities. Um, you know, it, it was not 20 years mm-hmm. ago. And I remember right. when my teacher said to me, like, oh, yeah, we're also focused on the sun. Right. She's like, but the sun has a dance partner called the moon. And, right. you know, getting that bit of information, because I'm a Gemini sun sign, mm-hmm. um, 
which makes sense for a writer. Yes. But if, you know, if you've ever met me, it doesn't really suit how I walk in the world or even how I look. Like I don't have an air sign look about me. Mm -hmm. Um, But my moon is in exaltation in Taurus. That makes sense. It does. You do feel very Taurian to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like that piece of information when that dropped in and I was like, oh, that's the counterbalance to the Gemini. And now kind of that, like it begins to make sense, these different um, streams that come together in my consciousness. Yeah. So Gemini tends to be very, very fast. And then Taurian energy seems to be more slow and methodical. Do you, do you, how do you harmonize that or do you not? Do you live with the... The duality. Like a Gemini. So I, <laughs> I do almost everything like a Gemini. Um, you know, like there's a lot of paradox in my life. But what I've what I found for myself is that I approach learning and mastering something like a Taurus. Mm. You know, I'm a craftsman, not an artist. I want to understand how things are put together and I want to be able to take them apart and put them back together again. Mm-hmm. And if it takes me five years or 10 years to learn to do that, that's what I do. But after I learn to do it, then mm-hmm. I'm a Gemini. Like Got people it. are, my, I mean, even my literary agent is like, you write books ridiculously fast. Mm-hmm. But I spent a dozen years blogging, mm-hmm. learning how to write, mm-hmm. you know, like really understanding the craft of writing and what people related to and what they didn't and how to make words have rhythm and cadence and, mm-hmm. um, you know, allow that rhythm to capture people. Yep. Even yeah. when the story doesn't like what's interesting about my books right now is like, there's not some through story that's grabbing people, mm. but the cadence of the words creates a rhythm and that's grabbing people and that's craft. And that's, that's Taurus. You know, that's, and I have a lot of earth in my chart. Like, I feel like that deep dive into the craft of things is earth. Yeah. Yeah. And then after I've got it, I've got it and I move like a Gemini. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's cool self-awareness. All right. So let's go back. So your parents, tell me about them. Specifically, I'm curious about setting the stage for your spiritual or religious upbringing, if that was even in play at all, what was that like? So I'm one of the people who came to my own spirituality through rebellion against what I was handed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my family's Northeastern professional, um, Jewish, like so Jewish. When I looked at my DNA, I was like, oh, come on. No one even cheated in thousands upon thousands of years. Somebody should have had an affair. Um, But no, that did not happen. And um, I was raised with, like, my family is not religious per se, but they were cultural Jews who believed that, like, the religion was part of the culture. And it, yeah. it is. I'm, I'm splitting hairs to a certain extent. But for me, from a very young age, I did not buy the religion. Mm. Um, you know, the I don't love the, the way the word patriarchy is currently used in our culture. I think it's um, used in ways that don't make sense to the root of the word. Mm. Using it in what I think is a more correct term Judaism in its modern incarnation is a patriarchal culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say in its modern incarnation, because I, I, you know, I do think that there are past incarnations that probably were different, but in its modern incarnation, you know, you're praying to the one God, cause there's only one. And mm-hmm. that one God is most definitely presented as masculine. Sure. Um, and kind of hardcore and harsh. Right. And I was like, yeah, no. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm. Um, so from a pretty pretty young age, I was pushing back on that. And um, I mean, my bat mitzvah was a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was 
such a shit show. My parents basically threatened to never let me horseback ride again unless I went through with it. Um, so they knew your currency, right? They knew. Oh yeah, they knew my currency for sure. Um, and I pretty much, you know, stepped up to the to the bima, which is like the the lectern, um, mm. shouting at them, "You're forcing me into hypocrisy." Oh my gosh! In front of all your so, friends and family. Oh yeah, I made yeah. no bones about it. I was like, you're going to make me do this? Everyone's going to know that you're torturers. <laughs> Gosh, I love that so much. <laughs> All right. So when you weren't, um, you know, bucking up against religion, what were you spending your time doing in your younger years? So you're an, you're an herbalist and a writer. Um, I'm curious if where those roots originated and what you, you know, what was little Maya doing on the summer day? Um. So I was, I was very into books and horses. Okay. And, you know, I can kind of see the threads that got me from point A to point B, but they're, they're thin threads and they're windy threads. And I don't know that other people would necessarily Mm -hmm. like follow them in a direct line. Um, I think that probably the books Mm -hmm. led more to where I am today than the horses. Um, the horses, the horses taught me craft, Mm. you know, that idea of slow and steady learning. I learned from the horses. Um, I learned because I am like a klutzy kind of big boned person who's not always comfortable in a body Mm. and learning to horseback ride took years. Plus I was terrified of horses. Really? So yeah, it was a really... It's it's a it's one of those wackadoodle things. If you believe in past life, probably you can read a ton into this. Mm. Um, family lore has it that the first word out of my mouth was horsey. What? Um, I I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what my parents will tell you. And um, no one in my family had anything that I knew of to do with horses. I found out like later in life. My grandmother told me um, when I was in my twenties that. Her dad was the milkman. Mm-hmm. No, no, wait. He was the ice man. He drove the big chunks of ice around that people chipped off to put in their refrigerators yeah. in um, Northeast Philadelphia. And when he would come home for lunch, apparently she would take the horse off the ice cart. Like she'd take the horse out of the, the shafts and ride around the streets of Philadelphia bareback until oh. her brothers came to, <laughs> to find her when, when her dad was done lunch. So I found that out later in life, but like growing up, all I heard was like, you're so odd. We have no idea where you came from. Nobody in this family has anything to do with horses. Um, I was both entranced and terrified. Yeah. Both simultaneously. Um, a, a writing teacher said when I was like six or seven, I've never seen such a terrified child. Um, so it was this combination of terror and joy Mm -hmm. and I would not be kept from the barn and away from the horses. And yet I cried and got sick on the way there every time. Wow. Every time the whole time, or did you get sort of more comfortable? I, I, I got over the hump after probably like over the getting sick hump after three or four years over the terrified hump after like seven. Yeah. So when I say like slow and steady to build a craft, I really mean slow and steady. Like not like, Oh, it took me a few months. Oh, it took me years. Wow. Um, there was, there was a moment I think where I realized that a lot of the horses were as terrified as I was. Mm. And from that point on, I was about, I was 13 or 14 and I was from that point on given the most skittish, terrified, like cuckoo horses. And I became the only person who could deal with them. Oh, like wow. to the point where when the head trainer went away, I was the only person allowed to touch certain horses. Wow. That's um, awesome. So it was, you know, it was a long, slow. Yeah journey but it taught me the value of a long slow journey yeah for sure and I mean I don't know if I'm making connections that aren't there but 
you talk about a cadence and a rhythm with writing and then your whole oh, yeah. childhood, you're like feeling and adjusting to rhythms. I mean, this horseback riding, right? Is that those different rhythms and cadences. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. And when you match your rhythm to the horse's rhythm, when you mm-hmm. find that place where the two rhythms come together, Mm-hmm. that's where the magic happens. I mean, that's mm. probably my first experience of transcendence mm. is getting into that place where all of my rhythms were in sync with all of the horse's rhythms. And all of a sudden you're not a singular person anymore. Mm. You are person and horse together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a really powerful transcendent experience. Yeah. Do you ride still? I don't. It it was like a wave that that crested, and then when it ebbed, I could not get it back. Oh, um, wow. And I went through a number of years, like just trying. Like I was teaching horseback riding, and I was, you know, trying to step back in because it was the only place that I knew to find that moment of transcendence. Mm. Like it was my religion. Yeah. Um. But something had shifted and I was unable to step back in. Like it Mm. just, I could do it. I could go through the motions, but it didn't have that uh, same quality anymore. Mm. And, you know, I think what was interesting to me about that is when you've done your whole life on purpose, Right? Like I woke up in the morning and what I ate for breakfast, whether I did my sit-ups and my push-ups or not, that all had to do with going riding later. Mm. Like if I didn't feel like doing sit-ups, I'd say to myself, hey, you better keep your core strong or your back's going to hurt after you ride later. Mm. You know, so every single piece of my, my existence revolved around riding and the, and, and what like, how that all pieced together, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then to have that gone, like, what was my what was my reason? Why was I here? Mm. You know, and you step into all those existential questions that then start to lead to the seeking. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. When you have an identity wrapped around something like that, um, it's a it's an interesting transition when it's no longer there. Like, who yeah. am I without this thing? Especially when it's, like you were saying, a transcending or transcendent experience for you. Um, have you been able to find another practice that feels that way? Or, or I mean, where do you find that now? Yeah. So it's been interesting through my life, like finding moments of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wrote on the crew team, R-O-W-E-D, mm. instead of R-O-D-E-D, um, in, in college. And um, that has a similar, like, physical rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get eight people all pulling on the oar at the same time and the mm-hmm. boat is, like, doing this glide through the water, you get a very similar feel. Um and sailing can can have a similar feel when you kind mm-hmm. of sync up with the wind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that for me that, and maybe it's back to being a Gemini, that desire to mm-hmm. sync with something. Yeah. You know, yeah. right? Whether it's a horse or the wind or other people um, is fundamental to, to my magical, mystical, witchy, whatever you want to call it, practices. Like yeah. for me, it's all about finding that place where... Um, I can come into sync with Mm. something else. Yeah, that is very Gemini. And when you think about it in the tarot as the lovers and how people, you know, they often think about it as as romance or or marriage or whatever. But I do. I feel like that's a card of of unison and harmony with with, uh, two aspects of self, you know, a lot of the time. That self-actualization that happens when you're, like you're saying, in sync. Um, Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. So how... How do you see that? I don't want to skip too far ahead, but how do you see that in your work? Does that show up in in your writing? Like when you get in sync and in flow with 
whatever that creative energy is. Yeah, it does. And I mean, you know, I, I, I find it, I find the rhythm in the cadence of the words. Yeah. And I find the sync, like that in sync feeling with the, like the spirit of the book itself, if that mm. makes any sense. Yeah. Um, you know, like writing, writing my first three books, which were about plants, animals, and then minerals. It was this combination of syncing with the plant, animal, or mineral and the book. And so I would mm -hmm. sit down and I'd just be like, okay, who wants to be in the book today? Hey, mm. book, <laughs> who's in you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't choose per se. I asked. Mm. And the sense of relationship with what's being created um, is very different than being the creator, Right. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like I'm in relationship with this thing being created and we're dancing together and pulling it into the world as opposed to I am by my own will creating. Yes. Um, so I, you know, I think that a, a lot of those early lessons. Yeah. Come through there. Right. Because with the horses, if it's I am of my own will, ah, you're not <laughs> in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. setting yourself up for an argument. Right. right. Mm hmm. Um, whereas if you're like, okay, you and me, we're in sync. What do you think about turning left? Mm. That's a very different situation than like turn left now, asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think it's the same thing with the books and, um, it's interesting talking to other writers cause people are often surprised mm. by the way that I, that I get the writing done. Um, but it, it works for me and it also keeps me like this idea of getting writer's block. If it's, if I'm not doing this, if all I'm doing is syncing up with something that exists already as an energy in the world, mm -hmm. then how can I get blocked? Mm. Right? Like there's nothing in me that you can put like a plug in. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about the relationship with this outside thing that's outside of me. So even if I'm blocked, who cares? It's still relating to me and I can still report on that mm. to yeah. the outside world. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. No, it does make sense. It does make sense. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, are horses in the bestiary or is it bestiary or bestiary? It's bestiary. I know okay. it's, it looks like bestiary. It's, it's the medieval spelling. Mm, got it. Okay. And and it was one of those things where it's like, mm, like bestiary is actually a word. Herbiary and crystallary are not. So mm. I could spell them however I wanted. But mm -hmm. bestiary is actually a word. And so we had a moment where we were like, you know, do we put the A in there so it mm -hmm. looks like bestiary? And we're mm -hmm. like, you know what? Whatever we do, we're either going to have the people who know the word telling mm -hmm. us we spelled it wrong or we're going to have the people who don't know the word confused about the pronunciation so okay fair enough are horses in yeah. there yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah what yes, do you recall do you recall um some of like the key words or or do you recall the experience in particular of writing that part of it since it seems like you're most intimate with that animal yeah so that was an interesting one actually because um Shaman and sh shaman is a funny word. <laughs> we use it for people all over the world who, um, you know, access these other realms, but it actually specifically refers to uh, a, a few groups of tribes in Siberia okay. who have a specific practice, which involves this type of journey that people all around the globe take to transcend themselves. Um, so for real shaman, as in of that tribe, sure. um, call their drums, right? Which they create rhythm with mm -hmm. their horse. Mm. So they're, you know, that idea of like riding a horse, riding the rhythm, mm -hmm. which is the same as the rhythm of the horse, right? Mm -hmm. Into that other consciousness. Um, 
so it was really interesting for me to like sit down with all those ideas and my own experience of achieving this transcendent state by riding an actual horse. Yeah. Um, and really just think about how deeply um, this groove is cut in mm. our in the collective unconscious. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm glad I asked that question. I, if you hadn't started <laughs> with the horses, I would have never even thought to go that route. Well, let's kind of like, let's go back in time a little bit again. So in high school, you were still riding horses and what were, what was like your peer group like? Like where, what lunch table would we see you at? Um, you'd see me running in, grabbing something <laughs> and taking it to the library or taking it outside. Yeah. Like I, I was the person who didn't have anyone to sit with at lunch. Mm. Um, you know, the, the friends that I had were my friends from, from the riding stables. Yeah. Um, and I was, I, I, I was kind of like, I feel like I was a stereotype that I haven't seen in movies recently, but I do remember seeing in movies <laughs> at some point in time, I was like the friend that people were embarrassed to be friends with. So, oh. so I was actually friends with a lot of the quote popular people, but yeah. they would never admit that in public places like, like at lunch. Oh. So while I might see them at their house over the weekend, yeah, you know, I was the person that, that would be totally ignored if I walked by their lunch table. Mm. Um, I hate that. So <laughs> that makes me yeah, sad. It's, it's it's really it's a really strange it's a strange thing and it started fairly early in in my life um like hmm. this friends with the most popular people but not a popular person myself yeah um yeah so well, i don't know but now you're the cool the cool the cool kid because you've got Three books and counting, and you are, um, I know, a leader in your industry and all of those amazing things. Um, so you mentioned but, books a lot. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was about to say, but I'm still a hermit, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I live in the woods. I tend to have um, a few good friends. I'm not, like, I'm not a widely social person. I'm not happy in big crowds. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel you. So. I feel that. So books seem to be a big part of your life from your origin till now. So what kind of books were you into, um, you know, growing up? Were you into fiction and fantasy or were you studying and learning or a, a mix of both? No, I've always been into fiction and fantasy. I was a late reader, kind of like everything else. I do everything slow and steady. Yeah. Um, I was a late reader. In fact, my parents had decided it was never going to happen. Um, mm. And then I went away to overnight camp. And my counselor started reading us a fantasy novel by a guy named Lloyd Alexander. Hmm. And um, she didn't finish. <laughs> at, the end of, at the end of camp, we still had like 100 pages left. And I got in the car to go home and I said, we have to go to the bookstore. And my parents were like, what? Um, and Cliff so, <laughs> yeah, so they were thrilled. They were like, yes, off to the bookstore. Um, and so we got that book so I could finish it. And then it was one book in a five book series. So I read the whole series and then C.S. Lewis and The Hobbit. And, you know, it mm -hmm. just kept coming. Um, so, yeah, I've I read Game of Thrones, like that whole series mm -hmm. so long before the the TV show came out. When the TV yeah. show came out, I couldn't even remember what was in the books. Um so, yeah, I've been, like, neck deep in all of that for a long time. So in terms of, like, starting to get a magical worldview, mm. definitely the books. You know, the transcendence piece came from the horses and the magical worldview came from, from the books. And so it's kind of this confluence of um, that almost religious experience of the sacred, you know, mm -hmm. that transcendent experience with the magical world worldview. Oh, so your books aren't necessarily, I can't say that they're, it's weird because they're not fiction. Like you're writing about things that exist, but you are writing about them in a magical way that does kind of feel like 
a fairy tale or a story, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I joke that I write magical nonfiction. Yes, that's because I was like, how, where would you put that? What category would that be? Because that's what I have noticed about your storytelling. It's like these, well, some of the objects, I guess, like with the with the crystals, they're considered. Are they considered inanimate? I don't know how what you would consider a crystal, but they've come to life. Like they're animated through your words. Um, have you ever considered? I happen to know, like maybe what your future books are looking like, but have you ever considered writing some sort of fictional fantasy book of your own? Have you created any worlds? I haven't created any worlds as an adult. As yeah. a as a teenager and as a kid, I created tons of worlds. Um, I do have a couple of novels, like just barely begun, like yeah. just a couple of, you know, sketches. Um, yeah, it's, the writing's interesting because once you kind of decide that I'm taking this writing in a professional direction, then you start making decisions about how books will sell and what publishers will be interested. And, yeah. you know, I have a lot of conversations with my agent, like what order should I be mm-hmm. writing all these books? Cause I have about 15 in my brain, right? Like what order are we rolling these out? Right. in order to have a successful career. Um, so I, you know, I don't know what's going to, like, I don't know which ones are going to come to life. I, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I know what I have contracts on currently, but right. I don't know what's next after that. Yeah. Um, I've also been working on a memoir for, for years on and off. And um, it's kind of a magical story in and of itself, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I don't think it would pass the Oprah sniff test because... So much of my life happens um, in the alternate universes of my mind yeah. that, you know, what's what's reality? What's truth? What's, mm. it, what's my reality versus the reality of the world out there? And then, you know, any judge, any judge knows that no two witnesses see the same situation the same way. Right. So right. Maybe what is write, truth? Yeah, maybe you can write your memoir like, Big Fish, if I'm remembering correctly, where it's like a sequence of events that are um, kind of like what you do with your books. They're true things that you can animate in a magical way that gives it a different perspective. Anyway, I don't know. It's for another conversation. (laughs) But I, I can imagine you writing something like that, where it's like, again, like magical nonfiction, but related to your, your life more directly. That might be interesting. All right. Yeah, I'd read that. Um, so how does the herbalism fit in? Where was that spark and when and where was that spark ignited for you? Yeah. So when I was in my 20s, I was living in, in New York City and um, I got really sick. Mm. And it was one of those mysterious, nobody knew what was wrong with me. My my blood work was all over the place. There were specific markers that I was actually sick, hmm. but they weren't lining up in a way that the doctors could figure out. Sure. Um, and so my medical doctor happened to be studying Chinese medicine hmm. as a side gig. And she said to me, you know what? I'm just a beginner. I don't know enough to like know that Chinese medicine could help you. She said, but I know Western medicine's not going to be able to help you. She's like, like, she's like, I can see you're sick. I can see on your blood work that you're sick. I know something's wrong. And I, and I know for a fact that like Western medicine is not going to figure it out. Um, so she kind of tossed me into the wilds of, of New York city. And this was before, any of this was even remotely mainstream. I mean, sure. like this was this was like early days when you know I'd be following some address down an alley into like this basement apartment where someone had set up their little office in a corner, and you're like, oh yeah. my god, am I going to live through this experience? Um, <laughs> really so, alternative, alternative medicine. <laughs> yeah, super alternative, alternative medicine. So I started meeting with homeopaths and uh, acupuncturists and Chinese medicine practitioners and. Um, you know, this was, this was in the nineties when 
the like there was no sense of legitimacy right to these practices at that point um and i came from you know a, a professional family that thought i'd lost my mind like dad's a lawyer all his friends are doctors what are you doing um but I just kind of persevered, like following this winding thread through the basements of New York, uh, meeting with all these different practitioners. And it wasn't that one thing healed me. Mm-hmm. It was that I learned progressively from each of these people all these different ways of seeing the human body mm-hmm. and understanding our human experience. And so I started to just pay closer attention to all the different aspects of my own life and what I was doing, you know, from, from food to sleep to, um, how I was walking and moving my body and just bringing a level of consciousness to my own existence that allowed me to slowly but surely eliminate things Mm. until, you know, eventually, um, through various elimination diets, we've, I figured out that, um, what I was at the time, what I called it was allergic to wheat. Mm. Okay? Nobody was talking about celiacs. Gluten-free did not exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I stopped eating wheat. God, like in 96, 95, a long time ago. Um, and I started getting better, mm. lo and behold. So I've actually had... Um, a doctor since then say, you know, we really should test you for celiac. Mm. And, um, I said, great, let's test me for celiac. And he said, okay, you need to eat gluten for a month. I said, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I know it makes me totally sick. Why would I do that? Why, you know, he's like, well, so we can have a test so we can know. I'm like, I know it makes me sick. What else do we have to know? Right. Um, and that, that to me kind of sums up a little bit of like this, it's such a, it's such a small switch Mm -hmm. that I think sometimes it's hard to grasp, but there's a piece of empowerment when you can get from, it's been proven. I have a test. There's some standard that can be checked off to, I know this to be true Mm -hmm. and I actually don't care about your test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, is a, a piece that we're all looking for. Like we're looking for that place where w- we are standing on solid enough ground and we're looking at the different aspects of ourselves and how we're reacting to the world around us and the world is reacting to us that we are able to have some sense of, I know. Yes. Yes. I know this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from there, I started learning about all these different things that I'd picked up bits and pieces of in the basements of New York. Yeah. And um, herbalism caught, caught my attention, but really no more than anything else. Mm. And then I was um, living in upstate New York. I'd moved out of the city and uh, I had bought an old Victorian house that I was fixing up slowly because that's the theme (laughs) (laughs) and um a museum from new york came into my town and and built like a you know secondary museum for all their big sculpture Hmm. and all of a sudden my little town which was like you know just a little working class crumbling town um got this humongous financial boom and our housing prices like quadrupled at the same time, a lot of things in my life started falling away. Um, I was teaching and doing like multiple freelance teaching jobs and they started just falling away. Roommates, moving back to New York, moving in with a boyfriend. And I was watching my life unravel and I was like, oh, my life here is unraveling. Yeah. I can either let it go or I can fight like hell and lose anyway. Mm. So um, I put my house on the market with no plan. And I sat down and I I made a list of everything I'd ever been interested in and wanted more time to learn about. And herbalism was one of 20 things on the list. 
Hmm. Um, what else was on the list? <laughs> do you remember? Oh, I I do. It was like pottery, ceramics. Yeah. Pottery and ceramics are the same thing. Um, weaving. Dolphins, I think, were on the list. Like, you know, learning <laughs> yeah. to be a dolphin trainer. Um, yeah, it was an extensive list. There were all kinds of things on it. Um, yeah. Making jewelry. Jewelry making mm-hmm. was on there. So... Um, in that whole time period, I had a dream, and in the dream, I was shown this island, and I was told, this is where you're going to go to be initiated. And even though the island was like covered in trees, I still knew it was Ireland. Mm. Ireland is no longer covered in trees. It's all, you know, they've been, yeah. they've been down for a thousand years. Um, but I knew it was Ireland, and um, so I started cross-referencing my list of things I wanted to learn with Ireland. Mm. And I kept getting... This one herb school in Ireland. Wow. Um, so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to herb school in Ireland. Wow. And off I went. That's, I had no idea the premonitions you were having um, that guided you there. So, so uh, about what age or about like what year was this when you? 33. What I, what I call it the Jesus year. Yeah. Um, because Jesus died and was reborn at 33, right? Yeah. Um, and I've, I've noticed that a lot of people have like something big happens 33 and by 34, they're in a different place. Yeah, that's interesting. I opened our store at 34. I got, you know, started moving yeah. and then I turned 34 and then a week later, the store was opened. Um, yep. Yep. This oh, whole thing happened during my 33rd year. Mm-hmm. And a month after my birthday, I turned 34, I went to Ireland. So it's wow. like the the thirty three is the dying and the setup for yeah. the thirty four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And so, how long were you there? I was there a year. Okay. Um, with some little breaks, you know, yeah, like yeah. I flew back to the states for small breaks. But um, yeah, I was there for for a year, and it was not easy. Um, hmm. You know, I was living on. It's called a stud. So it's a that's farm. It. It's a farm. It's a farmette where they used to breed horses. Oh, where they used to breed horses. I didn't even, I, that's the, this is the first time I've actually put that together. So, you know, a, a stallion that is used for breeding is a stud. Yeah. So the farm was called a stud. Um, so yeah, I was on the stud in Ireland and we were in the middle of nowhere. I had no car. Mm-hmm. It took me about an hour and 20 minutes to walk into town. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, this was, this was before there were international chips for the cell phones. Yeah. So, like, I was really cut off. I had yeah. to walk into town to, to email people. Wow. And was it enrollment? Like, uh, you were enrolled with a class that you guys went through together at the same time? Or was it rolling? Or how was that set up? So, I enrolled in a two-month program. Mm-hmm. And there was one other person in the program with me. And then um, I just started begging my teacher to keep me. Ah, I see. I see. <laughs> I see. Yeah. And so, um, and were you s- still single at this time? Were you in a relationship? I was. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then, what what yeah. brought you back to the states? You felt like your learning was complete, and you wanted to come home, or? Yeah, I mean, I I was not intending to move to Ireland. Right. Um. You know. So after a year, I felt my learning was complete. My teacher and I had pretty much had enough of each other. I'd been living in her house. Um, we were done. And I I came back to the States, but I'd sold my house. Mm. And, my, you know, I'd pretty much gotten rid of everything. So I moved back in with my parents temporarily as I was trying to figure things out. Um, and on one of my little breaks, I, I had met Andrew, mm. who um, when I moved back, he lived near my parents when I moved back. Um, he and I started dating again and kind of, you know, move forward from, from there. But like marriage was never something I wanted. And it's mm-hmm. still really like in terms of an institution, not something I'm particularly pro. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it's just kind of a funny situation to find myself in to like do this incredibly like big independent free thing you know Mm -hmm. sell your Mm -hmm. house go to Ireland 
come back, get married. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it's a very, very strange sequence of events for me with my personality. Yeah. Um, but he's, he needed to get married. Mm. Like, you know, like everyone has has their needs on their own journey and sure. he needed to get married. Um, and it really got to the place where it was like, well, if I intend to stay with him, and I did, is it so hard to give in to this thing? And it yeah. turns out that it was. Like energetically, mm-hmm. it effed me up pretty bad. And I didn't, you know, it took me a while to realize that. But, um, you know, there was this calculated moment of like, okay if you're merging your life with someone, you sometimes have different needs and yeah. like, can I, can I make this thing work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's interesting to speak to. Thank you for sharing that because I'm sure there are many people listening who might be in the similar boat where their needs and desires and sometimes even like ethics might feel a little bit different than their partner. It's interesting to hear someone that sort of gave in with that compromise and then to acknowledge that was really hard and it, and it kind of fucked me up because you don't often hear yeah. that, that the resolution of it. It's like, okay, yeah, I didn't want to get married. He did, we did. And then no one tells the end of the story. Yeah, no, it took me a long time to kind of work through that. Um, you know, I'm bisexual and somehow in my brain, even if I was in a long-term committed relationship with someone of one particular gender, Mm -hmm. um, that didn't, in my mind, influence who I was. Mm -hmm. Like, right? Like, no one could look at me. I mean, so much of this is not only how we see ourselves, but how we think other people will see us. Mm -hmm. No one could look at me from the outside and think like, oh, there's an old married lady. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't. Even if I was with someone for 20 years, who knows what's going to happen next? Um, Right? And so there was something about, like, I'm, I have never been a person who um, needs to have multiple partners or, like, sex is not a driver for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't about, can I be monogamous or can I only be with a person of one gender because I'm lusting after all the humans. You know, it wasn't that. It was more the the self-perception of, I've closed a lot of doors. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm. I'm married and, um, and then all the cultural baggage, I think that goes along with women being chattel. Mm. And I think that energetically, there's still some of that there, no matter how independent you are in within the relationship, um, that energy of what marriage has been mm-hmm. for thousands of years comes in and, you know, how you choose to deal with it, dance with it, rebuke it, clear it. You know, it's still there to be dealt with. Yeah, I hear you. I think the thing that my little piece of marriage rebellion that I'm hanging on to is that I legally I have kept my maiden name, even though even calling it a maiden name, but you get it. Um, even though I go by my married name, my husband's name, and it's <laughs> like I I cannot get myself to legally, you know, give that identity over and change it because. It's still very much a part of me. Now I very much do feel like Kelly Knight. And when someone says my um, my maiden name or my birth name, it, it's kind of like weird for a second. But I think that's my little mini rebellion, you know, in the marriage yeah. construct. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a strange thing. I mean, it's... I feel like there are... Like most things in our life, that we really want, we step into without rebellion. Mm. Like the whole point is that we want it. Mm. Right. But I talked to so many women who have their little marriage rebellion. (laughs) Right. Like there's something that's not quite comfortable for everyone. Some people are are fine. No sweat. um, About this, this construct. I mean, for me having owned a home myself and, um, you know, taking care of all the broken furnaces in the middle of the night myself, shoveled the walk myself, like done every single piece of it myself, Mm -hmm. having some kind of a partner to do Mm -hmm. life with, 
was a relief. Mm. It's like, oh, we can shovel the walk together and I only have to do half. And if my back hurts, I only have to do a quarter. Bonus. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like life has a lot of walks to shovel. Mm. And having someone to shovel with you is brilliant. I'm not against partnership. I'm a Gemini. Um, you know, but, but yeah, the, the whole marriage thing is, is fascinating. Maybe, maybe we need a special spell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, so, so tell me about the herbiary on this. So on this meandering path, how soon after uh, you and Andrew got together, did the herbiary come to be and, and how, how did you choose to make those steps? Yeah, so the herbiary happened pretty quickly. Um, I, when I came back from from Ireland, I continued to study here in the states, uh, but I also realized that uh, even though, I, like, I still people call themselves master herbalists, and I'm like, really? Because I've been doing this for two decades, and I will never consider myself a master. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's just so much to learn. But having been 100% immersed in it day in and day out for a full year, I realized that I knew way more than most people running around Philadelphia. Um, (laughs) So I started teaching just like the basics and doing consultations. Um, And it pretty quickly became apparent that I was telling people to go buy things that they just didn't have access to. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd say, you know, something simple like get echinacea root and they'd be like where Mm. um so after a bit andrew said why don't you open a small apothecary like just for your students and your clients like just something to um give them a place to get what they need and so herbiary started um in a seven by 14 foot space and there Mm. was a bathroom in there Oh, wow. So it was ridiculously tiny. Um, We outgrew it in nine months. Um, But I never, like, retail was never my dream. Yeah. Um, You know, remember back to Don't Like Crowds, limited (laughs) group of friends. It's really, I'm one of those introverts that passes as an extrovert. Mm -hmm. I pass really, really well. Um. I am so drained by the rest of humanity. Mm. Not so much anymore. I've gotten better at, you know, controlling that or keeping myself from being a leaky sieve. But um, having to be responsive to people walking into a shop all day was not fun for me. Mm. So in in 2008, um, that recession, Andrew lost his job. And I was like, great, you can come run the store. Mm. so I passed off the retail to Andrew. I continued teaching and seeing clients. Um, we opened a second store and then eventually we closed one Philadelphia store, moved to Asheville, opened an Asheville store. So we, we still have two stores. Nice. That sounds so similar yeah. to our, to our story where it's like I was doing readings and I was recommending things and there was no place to get it. So I'm like, I'll just open it. And then, you know, yeah. a year later, um, Brandon actually got, um, laid off too and I said here you go luckily he had a retail background but I'm like all right I'm gonna do some other creative things while you you can manage the operations that's very parallel story um and and so here you are now you've published how many books you published two books but then in a couple of weeks so your third book is going to be published third book will be out September 1st yes and the fourth book is already, like, it's written. It's already kind of in the hopper um, at my publishing house. And I believe the release date on the fourth book, I want to say August 8th, 2021. Okay, cool. It's somewhere close to that. So can you, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about this book that they have to get immediately? The most, the most current. So, yeah, so the most current book um, is The Illustrated Crystallary. And the, so the, the books cover the, what's called the three medicine kingdoms, animal, mm. vegetable, mineral. Um, and in the ancient world, medicine came from all three of those kingdoms. So we don't tend to think of minerals and crystals 
as medicine anymore. Mm. You know, like we, our brains tend to go more towards like the energy mm-hmm. effect or the energy medicine of, of the crystals. Um, but if you think about it back before we had capsules, mm-hmm. um, the place that people were getting their minerals, like their iron and their magnesium, um, was from the earth, from ground up rocks and things. Mm. Um, so the same way that we make tinctures out of um, herbs, yeah. in ancient Chinese medicine, ancient Tibetan medicine, um, Taoist medicine, they would make medicine from crystals. Mm. So there's this very old long tradition of using um, crystals and healing in a very different way than we think about it today. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've been studying this for, for a number of years and I've always been a rock person, you yeah. know, like there, there are constantly things falling out of my pockets and they're usually <laughs> little smooth river stones or pieces of mica or whatever. Um, right. I've always just had a propensity for, for picking up stones. And so this um, shift over to crystals and understanding their properties was, you know, that was a really natural, natural one for me. And um, they're very easy. Like when we talk about that transcendent place where you come into alignment with something other than you, mm-hmm. crystals are really easy to do that with. Mm. Like I can get people up and running, feeling energy, who swear they can't feel energy super quickly with mm. two crystals and a little bit of instruction. Um, they're, they're just really, they're really good carriers of energy, transfers of energy, movers of energy, mm-hmm. um, which is why we use them in electronics, right? They're, yep. quartz is a, a big part. And a lot of other minerals too are, yep. are part of electronic processes because they're great conductors of energy. Um, so I I find them fascinating and I find that like the straight up more new agey take on crystals Mm -hmm. is usually a little too much. It's too air sign for me. Mm. Like I need to go back into, um, some of the, the Taoist traditional, um, medicines where they're actually using the physical stone. Yep. Right. And I need to understand like, oh, this has iron in it. Well, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So you need iron to transport the oxygen in your body. So, oh, I get how this works now. Like I need to kind of line up the the mineral components with the physical processes. Um, so the book straddles those two worlds. Mm-hmm. But it's like my other books. It's written in a way that's kind of um, magical nonfiction. You know, yeah. it's it's a fairy tale. It's easy to read. Um, you've read it, yeah? Yep. I sent mm-hmm. it to you. Yes, yes. So, and, Yeah, and I love the added bonus of the cards that are in the back, that you have a mini, basically, oracle deck there where you can actually get the wisdom of the crystals through oracle and then read, you know, more about it. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so the all the books come with a deck mm-hmm. in an envelope in the back. And, the you know, it's not... Um, there, there, there are collectible sets coming out for each book and those have like nice, nice cards. These cards are like, they're your workhorse cards. Mm-hmm. You know, they're your like, we're more concerned about the process than we are about the beauty of this particular card. Yeah. They're, they're not like the heaviest stock in the world and things like that. Um, it's really about the book and then the cards are secondary. And then if you love cards, get the box set because that's where yeah. the nice cards are. Yeah, yeah. I I just um, think it's a, a great bonus, you know. And for me, you sent me the uh, advanced copy. I was so grateful. And it, to me, it was I forgot that there are cards. And I was like, what an amazing bonus. I feel <laughs> left out because I just think it's another way to engage. I'm all about um, giving people experiences. And so it's another yes. way to experience your work, which I thought was really cool. I have a random question that you may not have an opinion on. Okay, and, and this might actually be factually inaccurate, but I don't think it is because you mentioned iron, and I just learned recently, or at least I think I learned, that iron was not native to planet Earth, but that it got like we got hit by something. 
have you heard of this? Like we got hit by something in space and then it sort of created the either deposits for iron. Do you have any understand? Do you know what I'm talking about at all? I I have heard that baby earth got hit by different things yeah. and that different things got deposited. I, I don't have any recollection about of hearing about iron. Yeah. Okay. Let's that go. way, but yeah. we can look it up. Well, we'll skip it because I was just, I just thought that that was really interesting as I started because Brandon brought that up to me one day and, and iron is just something that's so essential to our physical bodies as human beings. And that was just interesting to me that it's a necessity of our human experience to survive and thrive, yet it might not be something that's native to our earth, which I just like my mind went to a lot of um, interdimensional, you know, yes places with that so I was just curious um I've been really thinking a lot about those sorts of off off world synchronicities and interesting happenings so I just wanted to see if you had an opinion well it's also really interesting because if if it's true I wonder if there was any life on earth before that moment yeah like was life possible on earth before iron yeah 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 was what you know what I mean um yeah well, our listeners That's an interesting fa- thing, too. <laughs> our listeners can fact check me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know if this is, because I, I, it was sort of like this passing thing or notion. Well, um, thank you so much for joining. I think I have one final question would be, you know, is there any information or advice that you would give to a modern mystic, someone that's really, like us, kind of pr- trying to bring some of these ancient wisdoms into this current uh, environment? I didn't know if you had any closing words for folks. Hmm. You know, I think that one of the things that I would definitely say to people is um, treat this as a discipline. Mm. You know, like work your way through things step by step. Mm-hmm. Slow down. Yeah. You know, learn it. Because after you learn it, then you can move fast. Then you can riff on it. Yeah. Right. Um, but you're not going to know what you believe mm-hmm. or what you feel unless you slow down and have the experience for yourself. Yep. If what you're if what you're doing is kind of getting yanked back and forth by other people's thoughts and opinions, then you're you're actually like you haven't gained that piece of empowerment, mm-hmm. right? Because what we're really looking at, I think, is finding the 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 wells of power within ourselves. Like that's, that's what mysticism has revealed to me over and over again. It's like all the little doorways and places where I hold energy and like the worlds within that expand into the worlds without. Mm -hmm. And you can only find those places when you actually really get to know yourself and stop getting yanked hither and yon by everyone else's thoughts, opinions, spells you know whatever it is so you like you do the things to learn it you walk through someone else's to find the path and you do it over and over again until you get the groove of it and you can feel it and then you say to yourself what's true for me here yeah and you start to deconstruct and reconstruct yeah that's so wise i think you're describing what we call self-mastery you know that's kind of the language that we use and and Oh, I'm so glad you said that because a lot of folks, I don't know, are taking a shortcut or almost like uh, disregarding the the labor it takes to actually gain that self mastery. Because sometimes some of the stuff gets picked up. If you're if you're gifted and intuitive, sometimes that stuff does get picked up pretty quickly. Um, and so there's like a deepening to it when you get in those grooves and you create those um, those rituals or those, yeah, that's so wise. Oh, you're so wise. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Well, thank you so much, Maya. Everyone, check out Maya's book. Do you want to just a couple places where people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is just my name, www.maya, which is M-A-I-A. Toll, dot com, um, And the store is Herbiary, W-W-W-H-E-R-B, like herb, mm-hmm. dot com. Yes, and find so. her. Same, same handles on Instagram. They're very active there. They've got a great team, right? Is that what the handle yeah. is? Yeah. yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Maya. Good luck with your Thank you, Kelly. This was awesome. Yes, Thank talk you. To you. Bye. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School. 